0: Welcome to episode number four of the University of Geology podcast. My name is Taylor Dorn. Today I sit down with Dave Hostetter. He's the curator of the Planetarium uh, here in downtown Lafayette. I recorded this episode a few weeks back but I wanted to hold back from uh, publishing it because in this episode we do talk about the eclipse happening on August 21st and then also uh, in this episode about two-thirds of the way through He'll talk about what you can go out and see in the night sky uh, midway through July, uh, which, is, which is now. So you can listen to that. You can walk outside when you walk your dogs or if you just go on an evening walk or jog, uh, and then he'll be able to tell you all the constellations and other features that you can see while you're out there. Hopefully in a few weeks, I'll be able to meet up with John again. We'll be able to record, answer some of your email questions and uh, really start getting into more geology specific topics. Uh, I know it's been, quite a bit of interviews lately, uh, but with my schedule and John's working offshore, it's a little bit difficult with us coordinating with one another of when we can see each other and record. So hopefully in a few weeks we'll ha- record again, and then hopefully early August we'll have another episode lined up for you guys ready to go. Wherever you are, I hope you're having a great summer, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, please rate and review us on iTunes. Those will help uh, get more eyeballs on the podcast. And feel free to email the podcast at uogpodcast at gmail.com uh, for any questions that you may have about the podcast or any recommendations or anything like that. Uh, but we do want to do an episode of listener questions a little bit further into the future. All right, I think that's all the updates I have. Uh, with that, let us begin today's episode.
1: You know, one of the advantages I have, not so much as I used to, but... Mm-hmm. Um, they walk into the planetarium, and this is a pretty weird room. Mm-hmm. You know, it's round, it's got a dome overhead. Uh, usually, I mean, this is kind of a white light that we have now, but usually it's kind of an off-pink, and uh, all these seats and everything, and they know they're in their infrastructure... Mr. World, how was this event. wonderful, orderly Earth of ours formed in the first place? And how long has it been going on? I am the Earth, the planet you call home. Scientists believe I'm at least four and a half billion
0: years old. All right, I'm here today with Dave Hostetter, the curator of the Lafayette Science Museum. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? I'm good. It's a slow day here.
1: Well, this is our day when we're close to the public, so yeah, uh, it's a little bit slow, but I call this my Do Everything Else day. So, yeah. I've been working on a...
0: a Save your voice. <laughs> well,
1: partly that, but um, uh, I've been working on planning for the next several months and working on a paper, a poster paper that I'll be doing at a conference and, uh, you know, things like that. Yeah, what conference? Uh, it's called the Pleiades Conference. Really? Uh, there are uh, regional planetarium... Organizations. I'm a member of the Southeastern Planetarium Association, and there are uh, there are several regionals around the United States. We normally have individual conferences, but this year they've decided to have a national conference. So okay. it's up in St. Louis uh, okay. in, a, in the fall, and and uh, uh, so it'll be a, a poster paper on uh, impact craters. Oh, great! Uh, with people from all over the country. Mm. I haven't decided if I'm going to do another presentation or not, but I might.
0: Interesting. All right, uh, so we'll, uh, I guess we'll talk a little bit about why you decided to get into this. Uh, well, what, what is, other than just kind of, I guess it starts off as a hobby and then it kind of morphs into. Uh,
1: at, well, not really for me. No, no? Uh, it's just a lifelong interest. I, I honestly don't remember a time when I was not interested in the night sky. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember some of the really early satellites because I was out watching them. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, the, in the late 50s and the early 60s and things like that, I was just a little boy but I was interested in the night sky and decided I wanted to be an astronomer in 7th grade yeah. um, and kind of pursued that f- for a long time, all really? the way into college and I was I was in college I kind of discovered that maybe I didn't have the uh, right personality for research astronomy <laughs> yeah. um, Imagine. But I started to really get intrigued by the idea of public astronomy, yeah. not so much teaching in schools, mm-hmm. but in a more informal way, and that led me directly to science museums, planetariums, public observatories, and things like yeah.
0: that. And you're stable. You're still able to do some research yourself.
1: Actually, not really. I don't no. do a whole lot. Um, I suppose I could. Yeah. But uh, the the job is basically not a research position. Okay. Um, now we're building an observatory up on the roof and i have just been starting to take a look at the possibility of doing some uh, imagery of things called rr lyrae variables that mm-hmm. would go through the american association of variable star observers and provide data to professional astronomers and so maybe that's a research project that we'll do with the uh, observatory mm-hmm. uh, and once it gets open but um, and to do some meteor observing and so forth and report that. But uh, it's it's not a real research yeah. intensive type of position.
0: Maybe just public outreach, that kind of thing. More For, of that. Yeah, yes. that's yes. awesome. Yes. Yeah, you and, get a lot of kids through here. I imagine they're pretty amazed, especially living in a, a fairly large city uh, and then most of them never seeing stars other than the very, very bright ones.
1: Right. The, uh, well, it seems like most people's experience with the night sky is looking up when they happen to take the garbage out or something like yeah. that at night. And uh, uh, you really don't get a chance around Lafayette to see the nighttime sky. We have an awful lot of light pollution. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's really pretty impressive when people come in and the lights come down and you start to see what's oh, yeah. really up there. I imagine. Uh, we get, I think we're putting about 25,000 or so people through the planetarium each year, That's awesome. Uh, something on the order of a 1,000 programs a year. Mm-hmm. Something in that vicinity. A lot of school field trips, A I lot imagine. of school field trips. That's about half of our attendance. Yeah, that's and great. And a lot of public now also. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's 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 the primary thing that we do. Yeah. And uh, I started, actually, I started out when I got out of college in 1975. I started out working as a volunteer and a part-timer at the Battelle Planetarium in Columbus, Ohio, at the Center of Science and Industry. I grew up in Ohio. Okay. And then I got a couple of summer jobs at the Fleischman Atmospheric Planetarium in Reno, Nevada, 76 and 77, Unfortunately, one of the other staff members in 77 decided that he needed a job that actually paid something, and uh, he resigned, and I slid into his job as school program coordinator for a few years, and then came here in
0: 1980. Yeah, is, uh, I guess, giving talks to schools or young children, is that the more rewarding part of all this? Do you enjoy that more than adults, or is it pretty
1: much even. Yeah. yeah. I I do enjoy working with the kids. Um they ask great questions. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes adults are a little bit loath to ask questions, but the kids are not. And uh, it's kind of astonishing sometimes what we end up talking about.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, just from my own experience, just uh, talking with kids, they're way more inquisitive, uh, and mm-hmm. then they're there because they want to be there. Normally, it's like the, the parents dragging the kids to do things nowadays, and uh-huh. then the kids will run off and play and explore and build things, and then the parents are always, like, on their phones or talking with other adults and not.
1: It, actually, that can be a problem mm-hmm. in a museum. or Yeah, yeah. That, it can be. Uh, but, you know, one of the advantages I have, not so much as I used to, but Mm -hmm. um, they walk into the planetarium and this is a pretty weird room. Mm -hmm. You know, it's round, it's got a dome overhead, Uh, usually, I mean, this is kind of a white light that we have now, but usually it's kind of an off pink and uh, all these seats and everything and they know they're in for something interesting right off the bat. Now, up until about five years ago, we had a big star machine in the middle of the room and they'd see that. and. If they weren't scared of it, yeah. <laughs> they were intrigued by that. So it helps to have an environment like this where uh, interesting things are clearly going to happen. And then, once the program starts, mm-hmm. clearly I'm the one that's making everything happen. Yeah. And, and so that that gives you your certain aw, your aw yeah the man curtain. the street cred goes up really high with the little kids at that point. Yeah. So. Uh, they get pretty excited it's a lot of fun
0: yeah uh, I mean because even I guess the first time I met you was like way early last year uh, whenever I came here with a group of uh, kids I guess they were like 15 or whatever Mm -hmm. uh, for a summer program and I mean pretty much the whole day they're rambunctious running around and then pretty much as soon as you put them in here and uh, they see all these stars they pretty much just sit down and just uh, their mouth open and I can't believe what they're seeing yeah it's the best way to get them to be quiet is to show them all the stars in the night sky
1: yeah, to a certain extent. And you know, uh, we, we have a certain amount of noise and, 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 and ooing and awing and mm-hmm. things like that during the programs, uh, which is great. There's a difference between noise from kids goofing around and noise yeah. from kids that are engaged Exciting. and actually learning something. So sometimes it's a fine line, but, yeah. they, but there is a difference.
0: Yeah, it's great. Uh, so, how long have you been in Lafayette? Well, I've been greater? here since
1: 1980. And working in the planetarium. So I've been here, what, 37 years now? Wow. Yeah. Not what I expected. No? (laughs) No. I figured, you know, five years or so, and then I'd go off to someplace else. But uh, it's nice. I have enjoyed it here. I've had uh, the good fortune to have a lot of really nice people to work with. And it's a good facility.
0: Uh, Oh, this is fantastic. Especially for a a city the size of Lafayette, you don't really expect these facilities Uh, As nice as they are.
1: Now, we have been here in this location for 15 years. This Mm -hmm. is our 15th anniversary this year. Prior to that, we were over not too far from Girard Park uh, on Girard Park Drive, right behind the Hyman Performing Arts Center. And that was a much, much smaller facility. Mm -hmm. But we did some really good things there. The planetarium was smaller, uh, 30 feet compared to 40 feet for this one, Mm -hmm. and 58 seats compared to 80. But again, we, we managed to do some good programming there. So um, uh, we, we've had 15 years here, but uh, well, the museum will be 50 years old in 2019. So we're pressing a half a century of wow. being in the city.
0: Yeah. And it's also hard to beat this location downtown.
1: This has I, been I interesting. This I has been interesting. It was very controversial. Really? Yeah. Um, a lot of people, including myself, were not real excited about coming to this building. We mm-hmm. When we started talking about other buildings that we might go to or whether we might build or, or do some refurbishing at the old facility, there were a lot of different opinions. Uh, I was kind of interested in going out to Acadiana Park and, and having them build a museum out there. We'd have been close to the nature station. Uh, there would have been some room for telescopes and model rocket launches and things mm-hmm. like that. But uh, we've been able to do some things here that we would not have been able to do in other places. And uh, of course, there are some things we used to do that we can't do here. Mm-hmm. There's a trade-off for everything. But it has worked out real well for us, uh, much, much better than I had expected. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, it's been a really good thing for the museum.
0: Yeah, and you also do a really good job of uh, getting out to parks and fields and letting people come out to look through your telescopes and kind of go over the nice guy and that kind of stuff. So you do some <clears throat> community work outside of having them come to the museum
1: that's right and I think that's really important again a lot of people are just not familiar with the sky but uh, you set up a telescope at an art walk and it's going to draw a crowd and you get to talk to people they have no idea perhaps that planets are even visible to the unaided eye Um, you we can put up telescopes out in some of the parks out in the parish where it's a little bit darker and people are seeing galaxies and star clusters and nebulae and things that it, it really never occurred to them might be there and they've maybe seen, or, or maybe they've seen pictures, but to actually see the light mm-hmm. uh, I think is important. There's something that's occasionally called the photon connection. Yeah. There's a difference between looking at a picture of Saturn and looking through the telescope and seeing Saturn. Oh yeah, It's just a completely different emotional type of experience and w- I'm very interested in getting people to have that. I could put I could put a camera on the telescope and have a monitor yeah. and so forth and probably get more detail and stuff like that. But you could go on the internet and in five or ten minutes you could find a better picture, mm-hmm. you know. But somehow getting people to look through the telescope really changes perspectives.
0: So yeah, we like oh, to for have sure. That. That's what uh, a couple uh, winters ago we went out to the Grand Canyon. Oh yeah. And uh, started doing. That's when I first started getting into uh, photographing the okay. night sky. And uh, even just taking photos and being able to see the Milky Way just jutting vertically out of the canyon, was yeah. uh, it's its such an incredible experience.
1: It, it really is. I was out at the Grand Canyon area, oh, I don't know, it must have been seven or eight years ago, and uh, we, st- we weren't in the Grand Canyon Park. We were staying in one of the old 1950s-era hotels on Route 66. Still had concrete dinosaurs yeah. and stuff in it, but um, I was going outside at night, and the Milky Way from horizon to horizon, uh, seeing the Pleiades rise one star at a time, it's stuff you just simply cannot see around here. Mm -hmm. Uh, The sky is so dark and it's so clear. I had to be careful of the mountain lion problem, (laughs) but (laughs) um, uh, it's, it's just extraordinary and it would be great if everybody could see that. Even if we could turn off all the lights here, we still wouldn't see that type of stuff around here because we are Deeper in the atmosphere, and there's more haze and, and all that type of stuff. Yeah. So, uh, it can truly help you to under, truly help you to understand why it was that the sky was so awe-inspiring to mm-hmm. people in the past. Oh, yeah. they could actually see the thing. Yeah, yeah.
0: it's gradually uh, started from looking up at the sky and then uh, to our phones. <laughs> our, our heads have slowly tilted down. It
1: has. Yeah, and um, you know. So, People sometimes ask me as, as I talk about the universe, and you know, doesn't it make you feel small? Well, yeah, yeah, we are a small part, yeah. and it's not bad to understand that every once in a while. Yeah. Or at least I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, early times it was uh, it started from us being the center of everything, and then slowly learning that there are millions of yeah. other things happening all around us, yeah. and we don't control it all.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's a good it's feeling. It's a beautiful thing. There's really, it's a, the night sky is just really spectacular.
0: Oh. I completely agree.
1: Sometimes I have people who come in and they tell me, oh, well, you know, they live outside of town and it's completely dark out there and they can see everything. Well, no, they can't. Uh, It's dark compared to what they see in Lafayette Mm -hmm. and it's certainly much better, but they've never been out in arizona and new mexico and you know yeah out out really there in the west where it's truly dark
0: yeah and it seems like the stars outnumber the darkness Uh it's just so much
1: you know it's it's funny the constellations sometimes are hard to find out there because it's like camouflage there are so many extra stars that it's hard to pick out the ones that make those traditional images
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, perfect well getting i guess there is a big event happening this august on the 21st really yeah, I think so. I've been hearing about it. For oh quite a yeah, long, oh
1: yeah. There's the eclipse. To, yeah,
0: there's going to be a nighttime in the middle of the morning. Well, I'm, I'm I'm over. That depends.
1: Out. <laughs> that's that's you know that might be a little bit uh, uh, exaggerated, yeah. but there is a solar eclipse going to be coming, and uh, it is going to be a fairly good one. They're calling it the Great American Eclipse. Yeah, it's a fairly good American eclipse. Uh, th- people in a fairly narrow strip from Oregon through the central United States. And into the Carolinas, we'll see a total eclipse Mm -hmm. that will last about two minutes and 40 seconds, depending on where they are, two and a half minutes or so. Uh, Maximum is about seven and a half minutes of totality. So this is, you know.
0: Where would that be at? Is that. Well, the
1: the seven and a half minutes is the maximum possible. That's not going to happen anywhere during this eclipse. Uh, The maximum eclipse, maximum totality for this eclipse, I believe, is going to be two minutes and 40 odd seconds. Um, and that's somewhere around um, southern Illinois, I believe. Okay. Um,
0: kind of towards the middle of the...
1: Kind of in the middle of the strip, that's right. And if okay. Here in Louisiana, we are well out of the path of totality, but still about 75% of the sun yeah, is going to be blocked by that's the moon, good. and so it's going to be a really nice partial eclipse for
0: us. Oh, I bet. And now y'all are putting on any events here? Oh, yeah.
1: Well, it depends on the weather. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, we have several things that are going on. Um, we have a planetarium program on Saturdays and Sundays at 1.30 from now through August mm-hmm. that is a little bit about constellations, but a lot about the eclipse, and how eclipses happen, how to, how to observe them safely, and, and things like that. So we're doing that, and I have some talks scheduled at uh, three more branches of the Lafayette Public Library mm-hmm. and at the main branch of the Iberia Parish Library, and so I'll be doing some talks there. Uh, people can come to see those. During eclipse, we've also got information on our website, lafayettesciencemuseum.org, and right there on the first page, there's the eclipse stuff.
0: Not even just uh, stuff pertaining to the museum, uh, things happening here, but y'all just have uh, some good uh, literature and some PDFs of just general astronomy knowledge that are just good for parents to download for their kids or even for themselves. Yeah.
1: Well, with the eclipse stuff, we've got information, basic eclipse information about how eclipses happen. There's Mm -hmm. one about how to observe the eclipse safely. There is a... uh, form you can print out that you can make a thumb hole, thumbtack hole viewer, and then there's the list of all the programs that we're going to be doing, Mm. and also uh, a list of what we'll be doing on eclipse day. So, weather permitting, and it's going to be beautiful, um (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) we'll have telescopes out in Park San C.C., safe solar telescopes. The eclipse is really kind of convenient because it's a lunchtime eclipse. It's going to start just minutes before noon. Mm. So, we'll have our telescopes out and ready to go by 1130 or so. And uh, the eclipse doesn't end until almost 3 o'clock. So throughout that period, we'll have those safe solar telescopes out. And also some zero magnification means of observing the eclipse. Uh, We have been told by NASA that we are going to be getting a shipment of 200 eclipse glasses. We'll Uh, give those away for free to anybody who comes as long as they last. Um, So we're going to be doing all that on Eclipse Day and the observatory although it's not completely finished yet we'll have the solar side finished enough that we'll be able to live stream it wow. so for people who cannot come to parks ncc perhaps they're in a school room mm-hmm. uh... or something like that they'd be able to go to our website and uh... be able to watch our eclipse live stream and nasa tv is going to be doing the same thing although they probably will not be using our stream yeah. uh... they've done that before but uh, they probably won't for this but they are uh, getting organized for several different places to do. Streaming of the entire eclipse all the way through totality in several places across the country So there are lots of different ways to observe it. Oh, yeah There are lots of really dangerous ways to observe it. Yeah That's kind of what I want to talk
0: about is a lot of people don't know don't look directly at it.
1: Well um, unfortunately somebody in the United States is going to really damage their eyesight in August Uh, There are they just some people seem to think that laws of physics don't apply to them and they do Mm -hmm. and if you are looking at the sun you're gonna basically burn the inside of your eye those burns don't heal doctors can't fix them you just have bad eyesight for the rest of your life and that's going to happen to some people because they just won't listen to those warnings but you do not want to look directly at the sun and it's not the eclipse it's just that you should never look directly at the sun the eclipse is no more dangerous than any Mm -hmm. other time there are no evil eclipse rays that are going (laughs) to get you or anything like that but you don't want to be looking directly at the sun and the amount of time it takes for that damage to occur can be very brief and seems to vary from person to person, um, although I think there's some uncertainty about that because nobody's really wanted to give up their eyesight for the experiment.
0: Not in the name of science. No, <laughs>
1: no, uh, that's asking a lot, yeah. but it, it happens pretty quickly. So you, you can't look directly at the Sun, you don't want to look at reflections of the sun in the mirror, that's the same thing as looking at the sun. Reflections of light in the water, uh, probably not a real good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some ways to observe the eclipse that people may have heard of that are in fact are extremely dangerous, smoked glass being one of them, partly because it will cut down the brightness of the sun, but it won't necessarily cut down the energy that's reaching your eye and it's very mm-hmm. uh, inconsistent from one spot to the other. Plus you have the special added attraction of cutting your hand open holding a piece of glass. Um, Sunglasses won't do the job. There are special eclipse glasses that are made out of a material that's specially designed for looking at the sun, but wearing two or three pairs of sunglasses (coughs) is not gonna do it. Silvered sunglasses is not gonna do it. Essentially, it's unlikely that you have anything around the house that's gonna be safe for looking directly at the sun. So if you want to observe the eclipse, you need to get Eclipse glasses or some kind of safe solar filter that is designed specifically for observing the sun, mm-hmm. uh, use some kind of thumbtack hole viewer. Yeah,
0: I was about to say, it's probably the most cost-efficient, I guess, for pe- unless if you can get the free <laughs> the free glasses.
1: <clears throat> well, there are the free glasses, but if you really want to be cheap, all you have to do is stand underneath a leafy tree, and down on the ground, you'll see little images of the eclipse as the light yeah. filters in between all the leaves. That's probably how the ancients knew that yeah. eclipses were going on, and it is kind of a neat thing. I've also seen uh, people take paddle ball paddles. Remember paddle balls? Okay. And drill holes in them, little 1 116th 1 inch holes. And you hold that out in the sunlight, and then down on the ground, you get a bunch of oh, wow. uh, images from that, those. So those are a couple of ways that may be even cheaper yeah. than, than a thumb tackle viewer.
0: <laughs> yeah, the sun's another thing, but the, the first time <coughs> I looked through a telescope was at a full moon. Well the and, full moon and it didn't hurt, but it was just like wow, I never realized this was so bright.
1: Yeah. Well actually full moon can hurt. Yeah. It doesn't do any damage, but it can cause pain, but astronomy is not for sissies. Yeah. So, you know, there are there are moon filters, you know. Yeah. You I really
0: went and purchased one Oh, slid well. it in and it was you just gotta be told. A lot than that. nicer of an experience.
1: The full moon full moon is interesting because all the shadows go away. And you can't really see craters and things like that. But there are other features that show up only at full moon. Mm -hmm. So the moon is interesting all the time, basically. At least I think so. I have friends who really hate the moon because they like to look at galaxies and what they call faint fuzzies. And when the moon's up, it's a problem
0: for them. It drowns everything out. I can see that. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about the science of an eclipse? uh, Why it occurs? How it occurs? How often?
1: Well, um, basically, solar eclipses occur when the moon passes directly between Earth and the sun and blocks our view of the sun. Uh, the shadow of the moon is being cast on the earth. Uh, if you are in the right space, in that path of totality, then the moon comes directly between you and the sun, blocks the entire disk of the sun, and you get to see the really spectacular corona, or outer atmosphere of the sun. I've seen two of those, and they are... Really? It's amazing. It's just jaw-dropping. And if you can get into the path of totality, I recommend doing it. But um, It's just an amazing experience. We had a slightly different kind of eclipse called an annular eclipse that went through southeastern Louisiana back in 84. Uh, In this particular case, as the moon went around the earth, the eclipse was occurring when the moon was at its or near its greatest distance from the earth. So it has a slightly smaller apparent diameter and what you end up with is the moon silhouette with a ring of sunlight around it, an annulus of sunlight, wow. and uh, it lasted for about thirty seconds or so. But that's why they call them annular mm-hmm. eclipses. It's not annual, but annular, and that was pretty cool too. It's not nearly as spectacular as the total eclipse, but it it was pretty nice. Yeah. And we're still using the pictures we took in '84. Uh, they're a little more a little more rare than the total yeah. eclipses are. Um, as it turns out. Over the next three, two-thirds of a century, kids that are in elementary school here in Acadiana are going to see about a half a dozen or so more partial eclipses that are all as good or better than the one that's coming up in August. Wow. They are really going to see some nice eclipses. And on May eleventh, two 2078, there will be a total eclipse in Acadiana. Oh, and okay. Lafayette will see the total eclipse. Uh, Morgan City will be just about dead on line so will Thibodeau. And most of Acadiana will see a, a total solar eclipse. And people look at so me when I say that. And, you know, that's sixty-one years from now. They look at me like, my, like I'm crazy. But you know, a ten-year-old kid in yeah. elementary school is likely going to see that. Yeah. And so we, we're, we're already talking about it and uh, telling them to put it on their calendar. Yeah. And uh, so uh, it's something for them to look forward to. But they're going to see a lot of eclipses. The eclipse that's coming up in August is actually the first total eclipse in the continental United States since 1979. Hmm. And it's the first one to cross the country like that since, I think it's 1918? Yeah, I mean, it's covering a a lot. It's covering a lot. That's why they're calling it the Great American Eclipse, because there are gonna be huge numbers of people converging on that path of totality, and a lot of people are gonna be able to see it. But we've had kind of a drought. We've had some partial eclipses, but no totals Mm -hmm. for some time, and uh, so, now we're going to get one uh, in in 2017. There's going to be an annular eclipse that will go through the southwestern United States in 2023 and give us a really nice partial eclipse. There'll be another total eclipse that goes south to north across the country, uh, through Texas and up toward Illinois in 2024. So in the next 10 years, we're going to have okay. you know three number of them. Yeah. three really nice eclipses. It's awesome. It is actually.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess the only problem is clouds. That's I'm heading up to Portland and uh, for it. So
1: Oregon or Maine? Oregon. Oh, that, that's, a, that's a better <laughs> yeah. choice. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. in the back. Uh, so just crossing my fingers that it is one of the days that Portland has no clouds.
1: Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. yeah. Well now, if you can get out of Portland and into Western Oregon, you're gonna have a much better chance.
0: Yeah, we're about an hour south in uh, Salem, Kaiser.
1: Okay, uh, kind so of we'll mid-Oregon, westward along the path through Idaho and into uh, western Wyoming climatologically mm-hmm. those are the That's areas where you are most likely to have clear skies okay and as you go eastward through the path into the central united states it starts to get a little less likely then you get into the southeast and it gets to be a lot less likely yeah. we have i think about one chance in three i'd say of mm. actually seeing the entire eclipse but if you think about what our summer weather pattern can be like where we have really a nice morning clear early in the morning, and then about mid-morning it starts to cloud up. Early afternoon it's starting to get kind of overcast. You may get some rain or something in the afternoon. I think we're more likely to see the more the uh, uh, first half of this eclipse than the second half, except that it's going be okay. to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be perfect.
0: I remember you still get to go out there and talk to people, and everybody gets to come and meet each other. All right. and, uh,
1: and and if it's, if it's cloudy or if the uh, clouds show up and we have to bail out, uh, although the, it's on a Monday, the museum is not open. But we will have our back doors closest to Park you CC unlocked, and people can come in mm-hmm. for restrooms and water. And if the weather goes bad, we'll see if we can get in there and find live streaming some, from somewhere along the eclipse zone on the NASA TV, and we'll still be able to show people the eclipse. It, yeah, that's, that's our backup. You'll get plan. it one way. Yeah, and can but we're not going to need it because it's going to be it's beautiful. Be perfect. Yeah, <laughs> get those positive waves going.
0: Um, Perfect. I think that's it for Eclipse, unless if there's anything else, I don't, I think we covered pretty much everything for the Eclipse event. All right, everyone. I just wanted to pause the interview and give you a break and let you know that the portion that is coming up after this is done is the part where Dave walks you through what is up in the night sky uh, for July 2017. I hope you guys enjoyed this part, I certainly did, and when you go outside, always remember to keep looking up.
1: You know, one of the strange things about working in a planetarium is you really get used to walking around in the dark, and you know where everything is, and and the little symbol there on the back of your computer that was lighted up Mm -hmm. was blinding. (laughs) (laughs) It actually made it hard for me to see my way in here. Okay, so uh, what we're looking at here is the night sky as it would be in mid-July this year at about 9.30 in the evening, which is not too long after it gets dark. And um, over there sort of in front of us is the north. Let me go ahead and turn on some directions here so that um, you can see what I'm talking about there. So the... over toward the north, the famous Big Dipper is up here, and it looks like a pan basically hanging from its handle, kind of in the northwestern sky. If you stick your hand out at arm's length, you'll see that you can just about cover the length of the dipper with the length of your hand, so that's a good measurement. If you walk out under the real sky and stick your hand out as far from your face as possible, the, the length of your hand is similar to the length of the dipper, so that can help you Gage how big a group of stars you're looking for, and that can be an actual a real problem for people because they don't know whether they're looking for something big or something small or whatever. So I like to use you know hand lengths and hand widths and things like that as a guide for people to find them and Then the two stars closest to the horizon that night in in mid July, the ones that are at the front of the Big Dipper's cup, that points you to the north star
0: huh.
1: which is Emphatically not the brightest star of the night sky. Um,
0: Yeah, I've heard that quite often. Everybody's heard that, and (laughs) I it confuses me when I was little.
1: Yeah, Uh, if you're going to follow the brightest star in the sky, you're going to get real lost real fast. Start looking at some planets. (laughs) Yep, (laughs) and you just have there's no telling which one is going to be the brightest one at that particular moment. But it won't be the North Star. Uh, It's not even in the top Hmm. forty. There are more than forty stars that are brighter than that. So uh, if you're looking for north. That set of stars that we call the pointers in the Big Dipper. that is a really important pair to know. Um, over to the east, in the summertime, there are some bright stars that make a big triangle, and this is even bigger than the Big Dipper is. We call it the summer triangle because of its shape and because it's in the sky all night in the early summer. So uh, that's a nice group nice group to find and not too hard. If you are out in the middle of nowhere, far away from lights and things like that, the middle of the Summer Triangle is where you can find the famous Milky Way. Yep. That band of light that we see across there, that's the Milky Way. If you're inside or even close to Lafayette, you're not going to be able to see that because of the lights, what we call the light pollution, lighting up the night sky, a lot of wasted energy. Yes. The United States wastes close to three billion dollars a year. Lighting up the night sky for no particular reason. Yeah, that's kind of just what
0: I should have mit- uh, asked you this earlier, but is there any uh, thing going on with the city of like trying to a- angle our lights downwards instead of just a 360? Uh
1: I don't want to get into that. <laughs> what, what, we are, what we are seeing is that private businesses are putting in more and more efficient lighting. Yes. Um, but
0: I mean, once you start getting around to telling people like how much money it could actually like a practical amount that they could save on it, that's where you get people. You don't Mm -hmm. you don't really sell people on the aesthetics of, mm -hmm. oh, look at the stars. Right. No, you really don't. Unfortunately, Um,
1: there are also some uh, starting to be more and more evidence that there are some health effects Mm -hmm. uh, on human sleep and things like that with uh, the amount of lighting that we have coming into our rooms. So um, uh, that that's. And that's a, a whole different thing, but yeah. I don't want to get into the politics of, yeah, yeah. of what Lafayette's doing with the lighting.
0: <laughs> it's most cities around the country.
1: Yeah. There, well, there are some that are more progressive about it than mm-hmm. others. And uh, I, I have not heard what Lafayette is planning.
0: Yeah.
1: One of the things that is kind of interesting is that binoculars are a surprisingly good tool for looking at the night sky. So, for instance, if you have a pair of binoculars and you look at the Big Dipper, the handle of the dipper is bent, and the star at the bend of the handle, even with the unaided eye, you can see there are two stars there. Uh One of them's really hard to see. With binoculars, it's really easy to see. And if you look over to the Summer Triangle, the star that is brightest in the Summer Triangle, if you look at that with a pair of binoculars, in the same view, you'll see there's a little triangle that fills about a third to a half of the binocular view, and one of the stars of that is two stars. Also, <laughs> turns out each of those two stars is two stars. If you have the right kind of telescope. Yeah,
0: that's what uh, but I, I want to ask you. Is like uh, I've heard that most of the stars that we see in the sky are binary, or at least star systems, or no?
1: A good portion of them. Okay. Yeah, uh, the numbers seem to vary a little bit depending on whose book you're reading, mm-hmm. but uh, around half. Okay. So uh, a, a star like the sun that is a single star may be in the minority as, as opposed to the multiple stars. Yeah. Now I just was reading last week about some new research that suggests that uh, nearly all stars may form as binary systems and the Sun would have also, but some of these systems are just so wide that the stars get separated from mm-hmm. each other and there'd be uh, no way for us to determine which was, the se- which was the second star in the Sun's binary system if indeed that yeah. happened. Uh, So that's an ongoing bit of of research that's uh, kind of an active area of research on star formation. Uh, So, uh, you know, it's published. Now people will start to tear it apart and try to find out if it's really true or not.
0: (laughs) turns out science is complicated.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, nature almost always seems to be more complicated than we thought it was. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things about science, actually. But uh, yeah, up there, uh, up in that bright star, beside the bright star in the summer triangle is a nice binocular binary star double star and looking along the uh, milky way if you can see the milky way mm-hmm. uh, looking along there with binoculars or a low power telescope you just see innumerable stars it's, it's just truly amazing
0: yeah i mean if you get to a spot you can just see it with your just naked eye just easily yeah, yeah it's yeah, beautiful yeah
1: i i have a cousin up in pennsylvania who had literally Never seen the Milky Way, mm. and she'd seen pictures of it and wanted to know if it really looked like that. She ended up driving, I don't know, three or four hours northern into northern Pennsylvania to a park that caters to amateur astronomers and spent a weekend there doing some photography mm. with her uh, with her uh, camera and um, just looking at the night sky because she had she lives around the Philadelphia area and not well yeah off a ways but still not out of the light pollution. Uh, She had really never seen the night sky before, and she was really amazed by it. So that's the normal reaction when people actually see the night sky for the first time, especially city dwellers. Yeah. It's something else.
0: I guess just if you're looking to get out uh, and find an area with little to no light pollution, you can just Google the light pollution maps, and those are pretty good to go by, right?
1: They actually are. Okay. Yeah. And we have one on our website, but you have to dig for it. Uh, (laughs) There is a... um, uh, in the planetarium part, there is what we call the, what's called the Lafayette Clear Sky Chart, and you click on that, and it's a weather app mm-hmm. that caters to astronomers, and it talks about the transparency of the sky and cloudiness and, and limiting magnitudes and this and that and the other. But if you click on that and go to its website, you can pick up a uh, light pollution map for Louisiana, wow. and. There are not a whole lot of dark areas. Yeah, you get up around Kasachi and it's a little bit better. Yeah, it's it's pretty dark up there. I've been up there a couple of times uh, for star parties and things like that, and it's that's pretty nice. But uh, in Acadiana, there's literally no place. I don't think there's any place south of I-10 that an astronomer would actually consider to be dark.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine there's <laughs> <laughs> there's anything. Yeah, uh,
1: there are areas that are nicer than others, but um,
0: there's a lot of commerce heading down.
1: There really is. That way. There really is. And you get down near the Intracoastal Waterway and there's some pretty dark areas, but not as dark as you might think. Now, again, getting back to the July sky, if if you're looking toward the south, just about dead on in the south in the early evening, there is a uh, kind of a reddish star. Mm -hmm. It's nice and bright, it's called Antares, and below and to the left of that, there'll be, this year, there will be another bright star, doesn't look real bright in the planetarium but it's really not a star it turns out to be Saturn and so Saturn will be pretty easy to find this summer it'll be a nice bright object there not too far away from Antares and high up overhead toward the west what will be probably the brightest thing in the sky that looks like a star that is Jupiter And so people with small telescopes, Jupiter and Saturn are just wonderful. Um, You wanna use lower magnification because high power telescopes don't work in the first place. Uh, But with your lower magnifications, when you look at Jupiter, you may see stripes in Jupiter's atmosphere, Mm -hmm. see as many as four of its 69 known moons. They'll change their positions every night as they go around the planet. With Saturn, you probably would be able to see the rings and that's always a thrill.
0: Yeah, and I think wasn't it uh, last week I forget the term of it but Saturn was oriented a certain way where you could see
1: I believe the rings were pretty close to you, as yeah. wide open as they get. You can mm-hmm. see
0: pretty much the width of
1: mm-hmm. it. So as Saturn goes around the sun and as we go around the sun uh, over a period of years the rings seem to open up and then they seem to close up and become edge on to us and virtually vanish mm-hmm. and then they become wide open looking at the top instead of the bottom and then they close up and become edge on and Go back to looking at the bottom of them again. So that's a regular cycle that takes 29 years, something like that. Yeah. Um, and I've seen a couple of them. But um, uh, Saturn is really, it's not the best place for it in the sky this summer, but it's physically very mm-hmm. attractive. Uh, the higher something is above the horizon, the better your view of it in a telescope generally. And Saturn's not as high as we'd like it to be mm-hmm. because of its location and all, all in orbit around the sun. But it'll be getting higher and higher over the next several years and getting to be a better and better object. And mm-hmm. these rings will close up and they'll go edge on again, which is really an interesting thing to see.
0: Yeah, I bet. Yeah.
1: But uh, anyway, two good, two good planets for us in the uh, summertime sky this year. And of course, the planets change their positions all the time, so by next summer, they will have moved on and will be in somewhat different positions than they are now. But uh, those are some things that people could look for in mid-July.
0: Yeah, I mean, Uh, those will stand out pretty much no matter where you're at. They do.
1: As long as you're not, it can be hard to find anything downtown. Yeah. But as long as you are in a residential area or out in the countryside or something like that, if you're not really downtown Lafayette, you shouldn't have any problems being able to find that. And the planets are bright enough, these two planets are bright enough that even downtown we can find them, yeah. which is why we use those for uh, art walks and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even walking my dogs at night uh, over in River Ranch, I can still look up. I mean, it's still pretty bright in River Ranch, mm-hmm. but I can still look up and be able to point out a, f- a few things. Sure. it's great. Yeah. Uh, are you adverse to me recommend- recommending the... Uh, uh, the phone apps for the stars uh, in the sky, and you can kind of orient them.
1: Um, you know, I'm not real familiar with them because I don't
0: use them. You know what? You know what's going on. Yeah,
1: I, <laughs> I, I, I don't really use them. And to tell you the truth, uh, I'm a curmudgeon, and I don't have a smartphone. Okay. I have. I'm probably going to have to get one here pretty soon, just to run the observatory, if nothing else. But um, some of them are better than others, of course. Uh, a, a lot of them seem to be affected in some way by having buildings and stuff around them mm-hmm. um, my 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 cousin downloaded one of the free ones and it was okay. She ended up buying Sky Safari, which she likes a lot, and that's one of the leading ones okay. so I'll take her recommendation on yeah. that but yeah, people ask me about that, and i I don't really use them so <laughs> i mm. I am not very expert in that yeah. I, Probably will try a few if I ever buy a smartphone.
0: Yeah, I've used it a, f- a few times, but mainly I'll just go uh, on the internet and look up. All right, what's what can I go out and see tonight, mm-hmm. and then kind of go from there. Yeah, it's definitely something I need. It's a it's a nice skill that I need to get a lot better at uh, of knowing what to look for.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's a great idea. Now the other problem with those, of course, is that you hold them up and you look at them and you're just killing your night vision. Then yeah. you look at the sky some of them, I believe, have kind of a red night mode, mm-hmm. but you can do this cheaper. Well, maybe not cheaper, some of these apps are pretty cheap and free is good. But uh, you can get a planisphere, which is a couple pieces of, of paper, basically, One, it's two discs that counter-rotate and you line up the date and the time and it shows you what stars are out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't show you the planets, the apps will show you the planets, I think. But um, those you can light up with a red flashlight and not stun your night vision. So that's when I have to use something like that. That's actually what I use is the planet that I got with my first telescope when I was 14. Oh great. <laughs> you take care of them, they stay with, them, yeah. stay with you, you know.
0: That's awesome.
1: I still oh. have the telescope too. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh in, in fact, if you go on our website, there's uh in in the observe the sky section of the planetarium part, there is a uh, guide of of top 10 things on the moon mm-hmm. for beginner for a small for a backyard telescope, and as I was putting those together, I was using my little 50 year old three inch reflector to make sure that I could actually see all of them huh. uh, as I as I put that together. So
0: that's great. Uh, yeah, that's a good resource. I mean, y'all y'all do a really good job of just putting a ton of resources up. It's it's really nice. No, good.
1: Um, our um, there's a night sky checklist that is kind of like a birders checklist. You go out and you see things in the sky and you check them off as you see them. And it can really teach you what's up there. And that's a good preparation if you're thinking about buying a telescope. Uh, it's good to go out and make sure you can find things and find out just how much you like feeding mosquitoes <laughs> before you you know, spend the money on a telescope. Because yeah. the telescopes are expensive. Uh, the cheap ones don't work very well. Uh, they, they can be kind of expensive. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of the stuff that we put on our website is aimed specifically at the real beginner. You know, not... Not so much somebody who's a, an accomplished amateur astronomer, but people who are just really curious and kind of getting into it. Yeah. Kind of give them a, a little bit of a little bit of help as they get started.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of one of the reasons why I love the eclipse is because no matter who you are, you're going to be out walking around or whatever, and you're, some way or another, you're going to come across the eclipse, mm-hmm. and then hopefully, uh, young kids or even adults are curious enough to wonder why, what is happening, mm-hmm. why it's happening, and then. That can take their curiosity from there.
1: Yeah, every place in the United States is going to see at least a partial eclipse. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and I, you know this maybe is something I forgot to mention mm-hmm. earlier. Ara- on eclipse day, around one thirty, when we're at the height of the eclipse, and the greatest part of the sun is blocked by the moon, we may start to see a little bit of dimming here mm-hmm. in Lafayette, and I'm hopeful That it will be enough that you could look off to the west, to the to the right of the sun, and see Venus. Okay. So uh, that's one of the things we're going to be looking for on on our eclipse day is to see if we can spot Venus. Yeah, that would be. We'll probably have a telescope out specifically aimed at Venus, so people can look at that Mm -hmm. just to sort of line up.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Should be interesting.
0: Perfect. Uh, I think that's it uh is there anything else that you'd like to add or that we didn't talk to talk about that you'd like to get to or anything you'd like to promote
1: no no that's fine no No, that's fine
0: um we always do a segment at the end called geologists they're just like us it's kind of like making fun of the uh the tabloids of like the celebrities they're just like us oh okay you're not a geologist but is there any other hobbies that you have other than looking up at the night sky
1: Yeah, but they're all pretty nerdy. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'm an honorary geologist, I think. (laughs) Welcome. Yeah, I uh, I I do a lot of genealogy and uh, I'm I'm interested in you know model rocketry and history. I read a lot of history books. Really, I'm really interested in any
0: specific type of history.
1: Um, I like technological histories, Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm interested in the uh, American Revolution and the Civil War. Okay. Um, just, just finished reading a really interesting, if somewhat grisly book mm-hmm. called The Great Influenza about the terrible influenza uh, pandemic back in 1918. Um, I just, I, I read a lot.
0: Yeah, same Sum- here. Yeah. <laughs> Summer's when I can normally read, uh, mainly for fun during the school year, it's all textbooks I'm, and I'm stuff. I'm pretty
1: much a serial reader. That's great. Yeah, and always have been.
0: It's nice. You have a never-ending source of entertainment.
1: Well, exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I. there are places I don't go without a book. Yeah. Because I know I'm gonna be waiting in an airport or a doctor's office or, or, or whatever and I'll take a book and
0: are you a physical copy or do you like uh, the electronic readers? Oh the physical
1: copy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Um, it's one of my stances.
1: I, I the the uh, the electronic ones don't smell right. Yeah. For no they time. don't.
0: Especially the old ones. You
1: and you, And if you drop them, you got a problem. If I drop <laughs> my book, I'm going to pick it up and I keep it reading. Yeah. So, yeah, I prefer the paper ones.
0: Same here. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's it. Thank you again for taking time to oh, out of your day. Oh, glad
1: to. I enjoyed it. Um, I'm glad it
0: was a Monday, so it wasn't too hectic around here. It, gets, it could it have been. very busy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, any other day, uh, it, it can be a little more difficult to carve out time um, and certainly to be in here. We wouldn't have needed to be in here, but... Uh, it was nice.
0: Perfect. Uh, well, still, I encourage everybody to at least go to the website, even if you don't, uh, wherever you're listening to. If you don't live in Lafayette, go to the museum website. It's LafayetteScienceMuseum.org. Uh, and, of course, it. the
1: planetarium part is the cool part. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Immediately go there. And there's a bunch of really cool resources we've been telling you about uh, throughout this podcast, but there's a lot of good resources on uh, on there. For those of you who are just getting started, Uh, and those of you wanting to find out more but again thank you and uh yeah i'm sure we'll be talking to you in the future good
1: good i'll look forward to (laughs) it. tell
0: people what to look up in the night sky that'll be a good good set right perfect thank you